You're listening to Wholesaling Inc. episode number 1164. For me, I found a lot more success when I've started to come into the mentality that, you know, this business, yeah, it's going to take up a lot of my time, a lot of my free time, and it's going to eat up in a lot of the freedom that we often seek. But ultimately, that's temporary. So I adjust my schedule accordingly. You know, I time block every day. And every day I have a checklist of things that I need to do. The top three things that I need to accomplish in order to have a successful day. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. Welcome to the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. I am your host, Brent Daniels, and I wanted to let you know about Growth Summit 2023. GrowthSummit2023.com. It is the absolute best event in wholesaling of the entire year. We're going to be discussing what is working in this market and how to get bigger deals during this market. Check it out at Growth Summit 2023. Now let's hop right into the podcast. Listen, 20 hours minimum. You have to find 20 hours minimum to commit to your wholesaling real estate business, okay? I don't care what your full-time job is. I don't care if you've got a lot of responsibilities on your plate. I know and you know that deep in your brain, you want to be an entrepreneur if you already aren't, right? So it's really important that out of the 168 hours in a week, we find 20, just 20 hours to commit to this business. And to show you the path, to show you the way, I have an incredible wholesaler out of Detroit, Michigan, Metro Detroit, and he's going to really break down how he's balancing, how he's finding time to be able to do multiple deals every month, starting at the beginning of this year, actually the end of 2022, how he's doing multiple deals while also working full-time in tech sales. It is my pleasure to introduce Jesus Avara. Jesus, how are you, brother? Good, Brent. Happy to hear, be here, brother. Well, listen, this is something that is really important to be able to have an honest, hard look at your schedule and time block the times to be able to commit to your dream, to the goal of going into business full-time for yourself, a real estate business, being a real estate entrepreneur, you really have to find those 20 hours in your schedule. So right off the bat, I'm going to put you right into the hot seat. Is How do you find the time? You've got a full-time job, you're on the phones, your life's all over the place with, with fires that you have to put out and sales that you have to do and customer service and everything. How do you find time to be able to commit to your business? Help us out. You know, a lot of times I feel like a lot of us tend to make excuses for ourselves, myself included, on the fact that, you know, we don't have the time, you know, we can't do this at this time because usually you do X, Y, Z, right? For me, I found a lot more success when I've started to come into the mentality that, you know, this business, yeah, it's going to take up a lot of my time, a lot of my free time, and it's going to eat up in a lot of the freedom that we often seek. 
but ultimately that's temporary. So I adjust my schedule accordingly. You know, I time block every day and every day I have a checklist of things that I need to do. The top three things that I need to accomplish in order to have a successful day. I start off with those three things. And once I do, you know, I get some momentum going and I feel fired up in the morning. So it leads me into accomplishing everything else that I have to accomplish for the day. And, you know, oftentimes I find myself accomplishing more from the hours of 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. than I used to when I was just working on a nine to five and I didn't really have a strong system to really set out my uh, schedule. I love it. So what are the top three things? What are the three things that you know you have to you have to get through to make it a successful day? So for me, I need to cold call for an hour. I need to send out texts and I need to call everybody that's in my pipeline that's hot, warm or cold, depending on the day of the week that it is. So I typically like to schedule things out. So it's very easy for me. The less I have to think, the better. So, you know, every day I'll call my hot leads and Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I'll call the warm leads. And typically on a Tuesday or a Thursday, I'll call the colder leads. Awesome. And so what time, like you mentioned in the morning, you get that done. Is your nine to five job truly nine to five? Or is it something that you can start later and you get that hour in before work? Is it during like breaks and work? Like when do you fit this in? Like specifically help people out that have full-time jobs. And they're like, I don't know how to like navigate this. Help us out. So it's whatever you could find, right? Sometimes you're going to have busier days than others. And that's just the reality in every nine to five, right? I'm very lucky and blessed to be working a sales job from home. So a lot of my day has several meetings throughout the day. And there's a lot of administrative tasks that I have to do. So I try to get all of the work that I typically can done before my nine to five starts. So any emails I might need to send out, I schedule them. Any sort of administrative tasks that I have pending or any emails that I need to send out early that morning or respond to, I'll do it early that morning. And then throughout the day, I'll try my best to have kind of buckets of my time. So the most urgent tasks or emails that come that are really urgent, I'll take care of those. But typically, I will try to fit in the first free hour that I have, I need a cold call because that's going to give me the most momentum for the day. It's going to put me in the best mood and it's going to be something that's going to set the stage for the rest of the day. Then the next thing that I'll do is I'll weave in segments of 10 minutes throughout the day to do some texting. And in the afternoon, typically after 5 p.m., if I have a cold call, I'll spend that hour cold calling. And then I'll do my follow-ups. So you were talking about sending out emails. Is this like just when you have a deal, you're just emailing with the title company or with your cash buyer database selling those deals? Is that what you're talking about specifically about the emails? Yeah. So it could be within my own day job. So I know a lot of people have day jobs where they have to send emails. I'll schedule them for the day. And you know, if I do have anything pending that's title company communication, I need to send a purchase agreement or anything like that, I'll send that typically before the 9 a.m. 
day starts. Got it. I was like, emails. We don't send emails for deals. Like, what? What is it? You're talking about like you're sending all. You're being really proactive with your nine to five, so you can get all of that out of the way. Let those respond as they respond. But it's not taking you off. It's not distracting you from the sacred time that you've set aside for your wholesaling business and really trying to be as consistent as you can with the time that you have so that you can, you know, at some point replace your income completely and go into this business full time. That's the goal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Okay. And then let's talk about texts. So you're saying you send about 10 minutes worth of texts. What platform do you use to send out texts? Are you just sending them from your actual phone? So I personally use Smarter Contact. Okay. And I use them because, you know, it's funny. I I attended a webinar for them just to learn more about texting, you know, get some more information on what other people in my market and outside of my market were doing texting-wise. And, you know, I found those webinars really helpful and I joined them. Awesome. So how many do you send out? What's a good good amount that you send out on each session or maybe just on a daily basis? I aim for 500 to 1,000. Right now, there's some issues with deliverability, I think, SMS-wide. And so, you know, so trying to solve those bottlenecks right now, and a lot of it involves not sending out too many texts when you initially send out those messages. So working through some of those getting that deliverability up before I ramp up the volume a little bit more. But in between that, I also send a couple of follow-up texts, kind of checking in on the last message. So I'll send anywhere from one to three messages to the same person within a given month. Okay. So when you send out 500 to a thousand, I really want to pull the thread on this. So first of all, where do you get the phone numbers to text your messages to? So I typically skip trace through batch leads. Okay. So batchleads.io, um, you guys can go that through mm-hmm. uh, rhinolists.com. And in there, so you've got, your, you're pulling all your information, you're pulling your lists, your distressed property list there? Try to kind of squeeze the meat out of the bone wherever I can. So I'll, I have a PropStream account. I'll pull lists from PropStream, and then I'll take a look at the leads on batch leads, sometimes try to stack them or, you know, just compare the data, see where everything's at. Awesome. And what is your favorite lists? Vacant lists and then the absentee owner list. Explain to everybody that maybe has never heard this podcast before. What is an absentee owner list? So an absentee owner is essentially somebody that their mailing address is not the same address as the property. So if I right now live in Detroit, I've got property down in Florida I'd be considered an absentee owner. Even if I, for example, live on 12th Street in Detroit and there's a property I own on 13th Street, I'd be considered an in-state absentee owner. I prefer out-of-state, but sometimes in-state absentees could bring a lot of good deals as well. Yeah, what you find is it's mostly rental properties. Uh, or second homes, or maybe a home somebody inherited. And, you know, when it's not the home that people live in, they don't have to go through all of the uh, moving all of their stuff and finding somewhere else to live and all of that process. So um, as soon as that property becomes vacant, because either a, a tenant moves out, or maybe they've never had a tenant in it, maybe it's just been a vacant property for a while. Um, those are really, really, really great properties to go after, because it's really low emotion 
motion and they're ready to go right now. And typically they haven't invested as much in those properties as people do in their primary residence. Because in your primary residence, you kind of nest, right? You kind of make it the way that you want it to be. And if it's a if it's an investment property or a second home or something else like that, you typically don't invest as much. So those are phenomenal lists to go after. Uh, vacant list, obviously, those are properties that um, nobody is living in. And typically that comes from the United States Postal Service. And they just the addresses that they don't deliver mail to, they put on a list and sell it to all these list providers and we get access to them, which is really cool. And obviously we come across those um, if we drive for dollars, which is literally just getting in your in your car and driving around the community and finding really ugly properties or empty properties and trying to reach out to those homeowners of those properties. So yeah, take Jesus's uh, advice here, vacant list, absentee list are absolutely phenomenal. So you're sending out 500 to 1,000 texts a day. How many call in an hour of calling? Do you have a kind of a rough amount of conversations you're having in an hour? So, so I was just running into an issue where the calls that I was making was coming up as spam lightning. Yep. And so one of the bottlenecks that I had to run through in, in the initial stages, you know, a couple of weeks back, was getting out of that scam likely uh, caller ID. So figured that out. Thankfully, you know, it's one of the bottlenecks that you run into, like a lot of the problems and obstacles that come up. But, you know, now I'm seeing about 10 conversations to 15 conversations per hour. If you've got a good number that's not showing up as spam likely. Yeah, I love that. And here's the thing. If you have 10 conversations an hour, which is which is very typical, it takes about 20 hours to get a deal. Typically, you have to talk to 200 property owners that own ugly houses or are in ugly situations to get a great to find a great opportunity. And so you're looking at it and you're like, "Okay, well, if I do 20 hours in a month, that's one deal." And one deal in Detroit's 10 grand. So if I do this, then I know that I could be, I can make six figures in my business just from the efforts that I'm having, being consistent, making these calls. And, and that's not even taking into consideration all the text messages that you're sending and all of the referrals that you're getting from your database, which we'll, we'll touch on. Uh, here shortly. But before we do, 10 contacts there. When you send up 500 to 1,000 texts in Metro Detroit, how many people respond to you? Do you have an average response rate? So right now in the initial text message, I'm at 10%. Awesome. But when that number, when, you know, you send the follow-up text and everything like that, I bucket that into, you know, one response rate altogether. So that comes out to about 20%. Awesome. So 20% respond. And most of those people tell you, no, take me off your list. I don't want to sell go get a job, <laughs> you know, all those things. Right. And then, but from there it filters down. I mean, from, if you send out a thousand texts and 20% respond at some point, that's 200 of those 200, how many on average do you think are open to at least considering an offer? I'd say that if 200 people are responding, I get about two to three leads a day. So typically that's what we're seeing. So about 10% of those are going to be leads 
Yeah, incredible. So at two hundred, well, it's one percent, right? So two or three, one to one right. to two percent, which, by the way, is very typical for direct mail. And this is text message, and text messages are significantly less uh, expensive than than sending out direct mail. So that is awesome. That is absolutely incredible. And then from there, you're doing your lead follow up. You're filtering it, and you're you're making sure that um, you're in front of these people when they're ready to make the decision and seeing what their timeline to make a decision to sell that property. So that is, that's incredible. You have two JV deals you just closed. And if any, if you're not sure, JV doesn't stand for junior varsity. JV stands for joint venture. And joint venture is typically in the way that we're going to describe it here on this podcast with Jesus is another wholesaler found a deal, another investor found a deal, and they need help selling that deal to a cash buyer. That's when you have stepped in twice last month. And so how do you do that? How do you get in the middle of those deals when somebody finds a good solid deal, but they just, they don't really work hard to get it sold or they just don't have the right buyers or they're just not there in the evolution of their business. How do you find those people and how do you step in? I've found, you know, there's a pretty big wholesaler over here, Metro Detroit. Some of you that are listening to the podcast may know him as Ron Wallraven. And, you know, I started to mimic what he was doing. And I started seeing other large wholesalers, what they were doing. And I noticed that they always showed up to all these RIA events, you know, whenever big people were having these real estate events, coincidentally, anytime I would talk to anybody about the people that showed up, he was one of the names that was there. And a lot of the other bigger wholesalers were there. So I started to mimic that behavior within myself, started to show up to more RIAs whenever I could. So showing up there, talking to people, making sure that you could talk to at least two to three people when you go to these events. So they're worth your time. Yep. And then Facebook, you know, you scroll through Facebook. A lot of the times I've deleted all of my social media. That's not Facebook because that's the one that has generated me the most money. So when I look through Facebook, I've often found that I've seen people post deals where I see them say, Hey, you know, in, in, in the bigger kind of groups, like the Burr groups, the nationwide flip groups. A lot of people say, Hey, I'm doing deals in this area. I'm doing deals in Detroit, any Michigan cash buyers. I'll talk to them and see if they're open to JB. And a lot of the times the answer is no, but the times when they've said yes, which for me has been twice in the last month, you know, it's turned into deals and it's converted into dollars with zero dollars in marketing. I love it. It's just networking. It's just building your referral database. I mean, people that, you know, they need help. They're in a different position in their business, but they're still out there being proactive, finding opportunities. And then you match them up with your cash buyer database. That's incredible. So how do you find the buyers for these deals then? Same thing. A lot of the times I'm going through Facebook, find people that say, bring me deals in Detroit or Michigan. I'm talking to these people in the RIAs. I'm understanding what their criteria is. And a lot of people don't necessarily read emails. Yeah. But, you know, it's obviously a tactic that you have to use. So I just give them a call. Once there's people that I know that are serious, they're on my VIP list. I'm calling them. I'm looking for people in the area that are actively buying through Facebook. Um, sometimes I'll take a look at batch leads as well. Look at the surrounding areas. You know, in the filters, I'll put the qualities of the house that I'm looking to dispo, give them a call, see what's going on, if they're still buying, 
And I found a lot of my buyers that way. I love it. And then you're just connecting them. You're just reaching out to them and then staying in front of them and right. saying, Hey, what do you think about this deal? And they're buying them. Absolutely incredible. All right, good. Well, let's break down that deal. Let's break down the deal that you closed. I know what you made on it, which is great, but uh, let's break this down. Let's get the exact uh, process that you took to close this deal. So how did you find it? How did you find the deal? I set myself up to start with SMS because again, you know, if time wasn't a factor for me, I figured that the way I was going to get to the lead the fastest was going to be through SMS. So started doing SMS and all of a sudden, you know, I see somebody saying that they're interested in selling their property. Yeah. Then I see property has some damage. Well, what was the list I real quick, Jesus? What was the list? This was a vacant house. Vacant house. Okay. And you pulled this from Batch? I pulled the list from PropStream, skip trace through Batch. Got it. Okay. Got it. So you went on so, PropStream, yeah, I mean, you you ran the criteria. Was there specific criteria for vacant? Were you looking for single family? Were you looking for a certain size? Were you looking for an amount of ownership? Like, let's get into the weeds here. Let's like really filter sure. through this so people can implement it right now just from watching or listening to this podcast. So length of ownership, what do you put? I put seven years minimum. Seven years. Okay. And then uh, owner occupied, uh, non-owner occupied, does it matter? Not in vacant. I don't okay. put any type of owner occupied or not. Just single family. Okay. And then, okay, good. So seven years, single family props. So then you text them. Yeah. So text them, you know, look at the message and I start seeing properties distress, start seeing I owe taxes on the property, start saying words like it's a headache. I want to sell as soon as possible. All of a sudden, you know, the bells are going off in my head and I say, you know, this might be a deal. So give him a call, talk to him, say, hey, what's going on with the property? Um, they tell me that it's a property from a trust. They really just want to get rid of it. The maintenance company that has worked on it wasn't necessarily doing what they initially promised. So after I heard that, I went out, kind of passed by the property, see what was going on, because really I'm trying to structure my business in a way that I can do it a little bit more virtually. So I'm not necessarily getting the pictures from me, myself going on the appointment on the property. And so I tell him, okay, let's do it. See what he wants it under contract for. We start going back and forth and put it under contract. So wait, you never went to this property? No. So you did this all virtually? All virtually. All through a text message. And then how important is it to jump on the phone with him? Super important. Because, you know, there's a lot of people, especially through text, that are kind of going, they're going to want to kind of pull the strings on you. They're tire kickers or they're just people pretending to be somebody they're not. So part of the vetting process, you know, it's super important to jump on the phone with them. First of all, see if they're legitimate, understand their situation. And it also helps to build rapport as well. You know, you can't build rapport over a text message because... You can't leverage things like tonality, leverage things like understanding and pondering on questions because a lot of the times people don't want to give away too much over a text. I love it. Okay. And so you get the pictures, you're negotiating price. Did what, what price did uh, the seller initially want? So initially he wanted 20, 20,000 after some back and forth, we agreed on 15. Mm -hmm. 
Then he said, well, you know, it's the winter time. There might be some squatters in the property. I don't know what's going on with it. I haven't seen the inside. And then I said, well, you know, at, at 15, I don't necessarily know if I'll be able to purchase the property, especially if there's a squatter inside. So I can't make that promise. And we eventually settled on 10. $10,000 vacant. Pro- why was it vacant? Like, was it a rental for him? Was it, did he used to live there? Like, why did he just own this property and not have anybody living in it? So it was in a trust. So right? his wife inherited it. Got it. I actually never had to talk to the seller in this transaction. I talked to um, her husband. And when we were talking through everything, it seems like they just didn't want to be landlords. They inherited this property and they didn't know what to do with it. They had this maintenance company that they never really communicated much with. And it was just sitting there. It had sat there for some time and they just didn't want it anymore. Got it. Awesome. So you settle it for 10K and then you start communicating with your buyers. What your buyers think about it? What was your buyers like plan? What was their idea? What was their strategy with this property? Say ARV would be around 70K in this market. It'd probably be a little bit lower. There wasn't too much margins to work with there. So they were planning on renting it out. And looking to see, because it seemed like there was a bottom unit as well, Mm. almost like if it was a two-family flat. So through zoning, it might have been possible to convert it into a multifamily. So their plan was to rent it out, fix it up, rent it out. But the buyers actually sold it to, they were going to fix and flip it because they were going to do all the work themselves, buy the materials themselves. You know, So for them, the margins worked out to the point where they could flip it. So they just fixed it up. They were able to fix it up buying it at what price? 20,000. 20,000. And how much did you make? 10,000. 10,000. Come on now. I love it. That is absolutely incredible. One text message, one conversation, uh, one relationship, being able to go in there, negotiate a great price for it, and then match it up with somebody that wants to invest in that neighborhood. This business is so rewarding, not only just financially, but it's just so rewarding knowing that a house that was vacant, that was inherited, that people didn't really you know, want, or maybe they didn't have the means to go and invest in that property. And now that neighborhood is, is growing back up and the new cycle of families and people living in that neighborhood are now able to get in there and they've got a nice, basically brand new house to live in. And and that just brings up the whole community. This is how it happens. This is how it happens all the time. Up and coming communities are where we focus. You know, the really, really nice, pristine areas, there's not a lot of opportunities there. It's the areas that are coming alive again. It's the areas that there's new potential and people want to go there that we see we really do incredible work in and get the highest rewards in those neighborhoods. So I love it. Congratulations, brother. That's awesome. How'd that feel once that hit the account? It was incredible, but I think the best part about it was like you were mentioning the communities and helping them out. You know, you're not only helping the communities possibly bring in some great neighbors for that community and some people that were actually going to vacate that house and not leave it sitting there for you know, possibly some squatters to inhabit it, 
and, you know, bringing some drugs into the neighborhood, whatever the case may be. Yep. But you're also helping out the seller because, you know, if you've ever been in a low point in your life where potentially you were distressed financially, you had money that had to come out of your pocket for a long period of time, especially if you've got debt and you've got to pay it on a monthly basis. These people are at a low point in their lives a lot of the times so when they have to deal with something like this. So it's like you're lifting a burden off of their shoulders. And at the same time, you're helping communities like there, there's no business I know that could make you this much income and where you could help as many people as you can with, with wholesaling. I love it. I love it. Hey, Zeus, how can people get a hold of you? People that want to connect with you, they want to do business with you in Detroit. How do they get a hold of you? Um, you could definitely find me on Facebook. My name is Jesus Ibarra. That's I-B-A-R-R-A. Or you could call me in my direct line. My phone number is 305-399-5292. One more time. 305-399-5292. Reach out, guys. He just gave you his number. Reach out. Connect. If something in this podcast really connected with you, make sure that you reach out to Jesus and start doing business together. I mean, that's what this is all about. It's about the tribe. It's about the community. It's about reaching uh, out to people that understand what you're doing because they're doing it as well. You don't have to be on an island by yourself out there. It's so much more fun to make uh, incredible uh, deals and business and money with friends. It truly is. So absolutely incredible, Jesus. Uh, just give give a final thought, a final Final word of wisdom to people that are just getting started in this business. So I think that with everything that's going to come in this business, there's going to be an obstacle. And I think the main question you really need to ask yourself every single day is what am I solving for today? And once you figure that out, you break it down in your business. No, there's going to be an endless number of solutions. You just got to pick one. You got to be decisive, pick a solution, see if it works. Because at the end of the day, if you wake up the next day, you could always find the next one. So ultimately, it's what it's all about. Don't get discouraged by problems. They're going to come. Just embrace them and be prepared to tackle them the next day. Awesome. Absolutely incredible. Jesus, thank you for joining me on here. Uh, I am excited to see you. I am sure, you know, I predict that you're going to be full-time in this in the next 90 days, and then you're going to be off to the races and really doing some incredible things in Metro Detroit and beyond. So congratulations, brother. Thank you for being on here. That's incredible. Um, he did mention Batch leads and prop stream prop stream is an incredible place to find lists you can get that at ttp data like talk to people ttpdata.com you can also get a batch leads at rhinolists.com and if you're interested in joining the most proactive community the rhino tribe like on this podcast we're going to give you the tools but if you're ready for the toolbox to carry it in the actual model that gets you from your first deal to going full time to building a seven figure business go to wholesalinginc.com wholesalinginc.com check out what it's all about check out what the incredible community is about if it feels good in your gut sign up for a call and we look forward to working with you and hey zeus is going to be at the event in april so make sure that you check that out as well and that's it guys as always i encourage you to go out there and talk to people till next time guys love you bye 
That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.